0: Okay, so we're on spring break. Everybody knows that, right? Um, A lot of people are obviously in better places than we are right now. Just look around. (laughs) No jealousy, no envy, just a little bit. If you need something to read this week, a good spring break read, I highly recommend Extravagant Grace. Uh, There are books. I told the Redeemer Institute people, I tell the leadership, I have like 10 to 20 books that I never stop reading. This is one of them. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, It would be, what we just talked about, that person and work of Jesus, becoming clear to your mind, real to your heart as a Christian, this is the book. If you want one book to read on sanctification, the Christian life, this is the book, hands down. Uh, The other thing is, as I said, that... um, you know, we had Proverbs, how to read Proverbs like an ant, that's that's available, so if you missed that, we can make that available. Well, part one to Isaiah is now out. It will be in the back. It's one page. There'll be two parts. Isaiah is being divided up. So as we go through Isaiah, this is how to read Isaiah. So first, it was how to read Proverbs like an ant. This is how to read Isaiah like a champ and not a chump. So this is it. Uh, part one, be sure to grab one. It's available. All right, so uh, this, today we're going to do something a little different, where actually the, the introduction, the hook, is the book. Um, usually I try to do a hook, to hook you into the text, right? Uh, as a communicator, you want to hook people. You want them to be like, I want to read this text. So I try to hook you, get you to read the text. I want to hear this text, and then we go into the sermon. So I'm doing it completely different today. I'm going to let the book be the hook. And here's why. Cuz you're saying, well what do you mean by that? The book be the hook, Jeff. That sounds so preachy. Well, this is what I mean. Is the Bible enough to hook you? Is the Bible enough to like understand you? You want to be understood. Is the Bible enough to understand you? Is the Bible enough to figure you out? Is the Bible enough to get to the bottom of you? and reach you, and help you, and heal you, and love you, and have compassion on you. Those unreached areas, uh, those inner mysterious areas that you can't figure out, is the Bible enough, or is the Bible mere words The book is the hook. Well, what do you mean, Jeff? This is what I mean. Is the Bible enough to restructure you, put you back together again, forgive you, um, accept you, uh, touch those areas that you need to be touched, or is the Bible mere words? The book is the hook. Well, what do you mean, Jeff? This is what I mean. Is the Bible enough to connect you with God? Connect you with yourself, right? Connect you with your identity. Connect you with your sexuality. Connect you with your gender. Connect you with all the aspects of your person and works. Is the Bible enough to do that? And then is the Bible enough to connect you to one another, connect your relationships, connect your marriage, connect your parenting, connect your homes, connect communities, connect schools, connect the culture? Is the Bible enough to do that? Or is the Bible mere words? Today's today's text is a test. And it's kind of scary for me. Is the Bible mere words? Today's text is a test of whether it is or it's not. Is it mere words? Or is it something more? So we're going to start with reading the text. It's a longer text, so we're going to stay seated. So the sermon's like starting right now. I'm going to make some... My job is to make this text, in one sense, turn into high definition for you. I don't make it alive, but I can help you see it better. And then at the end, we're going to stand, I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to read one section of the text, the closing section, together in unison, okay? So your job right now is to listen to the text. Have no agenda, listen to the text. Your job right now is to luxuriate in the text. No agenda, no manipulation, no mastering the text. No, I've got to figure it out. No, your job is to listen to the text. Your job is to enter into the world of the text. So when we go into this world, which we're about to go into, you want to see the sights, you want to hear the sounds, you want to drink the drama. You want to be in the text. My job is to help that. God makes the Bible alive. Or is it mere words? So I will then prompt you to stand. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put 36, Isaiah 36, 1. We're going to leave that right there. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah. What is going on in the 14th year of King Hezekiah? Uh, Isaiah is near the end of his prophetic career. Isn't that amazing? 40 years have come and gone in Isaiah's life since Isaiah 6. It's amazing. 40 years, just like that. And we're in chapter 36. So who is Hezekiah? Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. Remember him? We saw him last week. He's also, at this time, uh, he became king of Judah at 25. So Hezekiah became king at 25 years old. So this is 14 years in. That means he's 39 right now. Okay? He is responsible right now. What's happening in Judah is a major great awakening is happening. People are connecting to God and connecting to each other and connecting to mission all over a national revival, multitudes and multitudes, unlike has been seen in Israel's history. You have to go all the way back to David to find something like this. In fact, the historian of the time says this about Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so much so there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him or before him amazing an awakening think asbury it's happening in judah so what's going on with the boogeyman because we know the boogeyman's coming right oh yeah he's come he's already wiped out the northern kingdom Assyrias come in take them destroyed them they're called the 10 lost tribes of israel nobody knows what happens to them they're wiped off the face of the earth Assyria did that. It's already happened. This is about 10 years after that. So, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. All right, so the fortified cities, historians say, are about 46 of them. I want you to think of a marine outpost. They're all dead. 46 marine outposts. Dead. Your best troops dead. So he sends this king, Ravsheka. What you need to think of Rashekah. Rashika literally means in Assyrian. Uh, it literally means the field commander. So you need to be thinking this is Assyria's best warrior. This is not what we do today. We do not just like appoint officers, political appointees, like we do in our country. These are the best. If you're an officer, a field commander, you're the best warrior in all of Assyria. The Rav Sheka. So he sends the Rav Sheka from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. So King Sennacherib, you see what's happening? He stays at Lachish. Lachish is 30 miles. So Jerusalem's here. Lachish is 30 miles here. He stays here, sends the Rasheba to Jerusalem with a great army and surrounds Jerusalem. Now, what goes on in Jerusalem, or what goes on at Lachish while King Sennacherib's there? What's amazing, like modern archaeologists found this incredible pit recently. And it's an an archaeological dream, isn't it? It dates to this time period, the pit, and the stuff they're finding in the pit. It's like, oh my word, this is like, you know, King Tut finding this incredible pit. Well, what's in the pit? Well, they found... 1,500 bodies. That's everybody in the town of Lorena in a pit. What's in the pit? Sheer genocide. That's what happened when King Sennacherib stayed in Lachish. There's one more question about this part of the text. How did the Assyrian army get this far? I mean, didn't they get any other resistance in the ancient world? Oh, yeah, they did. There were three powerful armies that joined together in one battle to face King Sennacherib, and they all died. The Egyptians, the Philistines, and the Tyrians wiped off the face of the earth. So let's now go back to our text. And he, the Rashika, stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Those of you that were here last week, um, know, go back to that, would you, Malachi? You remember that place, the upper pool and the highway to the washer's field? Remember, that's Jerusalem's Home Depot. That's where everybody went for the storms to get their water supplies, and all the shops were there, and the refshika knows that. He knows that everyone's there, and that's where he goes, okay? So he came out, and there came out to him Elikim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, Joab. These, this is Hezekiah's leadership team. They go out to meet the Rav and the Ravshika said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think, here it is, mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Is the Bible mere words? Behold, pay attention. You are trusting in Egypt. Pitiful. That broken reed of a staff. Literally, it's broken. It's broken and shattered all over the plains. They'll pierce your hand of any man who leans on it. Such is the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, quote, can you imagine? Is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, "You shall worship before this altar. This is absolutely brilliant, y'all. I mean, it's like, I, when I read that, I'm like, this is breathtaking. Brilliant. Rabshika is brilliant. Know what he's doing. He knows about the Great Awakening. And he knows what happened in the Great Awakening. He knows that in the Great Awakening it was a restu- rediscovery of the temple. What's the temple? That's where God shows up. But more specifically, where does God show up at the altar? And so this is the recovery of the gospel or the grace of God is happening all over Judah right now. And this guy knows that the most controversial, hot topic in all of religion is law versus gospel, grace versus works, faith alone versus faith plus something, God's power versus human effort. And he just tosses it in there amongst the discussion of everybody in Judah. Oh, really? Oh, I heard that You think it's about God's grace? Well, what about human effort and all those places that you had put up for yourself and now it's just about an altar where your God meets with you at an altar? Tiss, tiss. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them, sorry about the marines. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots for horsemen? Because there aren't any. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Brilliant. The Ravshika. Is quoting the Bible to Judah. You remember Isaiah's words to Ahaz. The Assyrians are coming, they did. The Syrians are gonna wipe out Syria, they did. The Assyrians are gonna wipe out Jerusalem, the ten tribes, they did. And the Rashika is saying, the Holy Spirit is outpouring on Assyria right now. God is with us, God is here. Don't you wanna be a part of what God is doing in the world? He's at work in Assyria. Join the team. Then the Elkim, Shebna, and Joab said to the Raphshika, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of all of Judah at Home Depot. But the Ravshika said, Has my master sent me to speak to these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own? This is just vernacular. I mean, the original word is there. Luther would have said it. I don't have the guts. And drink their own urine. Then the Refshika stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, because he won't be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. There it is again. Is the Bible mere words? Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me, come out to me. Then each of you will eat your own vine. You'll have your own fig tree. Each of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come to take you away from your land and take you to mine. (laughs) Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his hand out of the hand of the king of Assyria? There are none here. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Amazing. Let's stand. Here we go. We're going to read this together. Here's the response. 21. Ready? But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Raphsheka. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would continue to work this passage deep into us and. Show that your words are not mere words. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the Rapshika says, do you not think that mere words, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? Is the Bible mere words, right? So everyone has a Ravshika in their life. Everyone has a Ravsheka in their life. What's the Rapsheka? You're doomed. Do this. Sometimes it could be a parent in your life. Sometimes it can be a coach, a teacher. Sometimes it can be a brother, a spouse. You're doomed. Do this. Sometimes it can be the scale, your body image. You're doomed. Do this. Uh, Sometimes it can be your job performance. You're doomed. Do this. Sometimes it's the culture, right? It can be the state. It can be political leaders. It can be ideologues. It can be activists. It can be educators. You're doomed. Do this. But most of the time, it's the voice. It's the inner voice. You're doomed. Do this. The Rafshika is even in the church. So Colin and I were talking before podcasting. We just are on a roll on several things right now. It's hard to keep down one subject that we bounce to, but In the course of our conversation, uh, Colin mentioned that he just heard from a celebrity pastor, mega church pastor, and where the guy had said something to his church like, listen, I know why all of y'all are here. I know why you're in these seats. I know why we're packing everybody in. The pastor is saying this. Uh, He goes on to say that the research shows, and he's looking at Pew, he's looking at all the data. Pew's highly respected, one of the most respected, and all these kind of polls and researches show that people... Go to church, that the number one, like the, the most, the highest reasons that people go to church are to be told what to do. Do you know that? It's amazing. In other words, stuff like, hey, here's how to connect with God. Here's how to spiritually improve. Here's how to do your relationships. Here's how to parent and take care of your kids and raise them. Here's how to do life, Right? And so he's saying this as a megachurch pastor. The reason why you're here is to be told what to do. You're doomed. Do this, the Ravshika. Isaiah 36:5 again. Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? Is the Bible mere words? Now let's look at their response in verse 21. But they were silent and they answered the Ravshika, not a word for the king's command was do not answer him the refshika and so then they told him the words of the refshika so what happens now let's just say we we didn't read what's going i'm going to tell you what happens that's the rest of the sermon what happens if they listen to the refshika you're doomed do this what happens if you listen to the refshika in your life you're doomed do this what happens if the culture does? What happens if leaders do? You're doomed do this. What if you listen to the Rapshika? Or let's say it this way. What if you treat the Bible as mere words? What if Judah, right now, their response is to treat the Bible as mere words? What if you treat the Bible as mere words? What if a church treats the Bible as mere words? What happens? King Sennacherib comes. Assyria comes and overthrows everything. Overthrows you, overthrows your relationships, overthrows your home, overthrows your church, overthrows institutions, overthrows the culture. Do you think that mere words are strategy? Are a strategy for power and war? Is the Bible mere words? Everything in Isaiah right now hangs on the answer. The king and kingdom hangs on this answer. Homes and communities hang on this answer. Churches and culture hangs on this answer. The land hangs on this answer. Is the Bible mere words? Everything hangs on the answer. So King Hezekiah, what does he do? We don't know, so I'm going to tell you. When we read the rest of chapter 37, what he ends up doing is he sends for Isaiah. So he sends for the prophet. He sends for God's mouthpiece. He sends for God's voice on earth. In other words, Hezekiah sends for the Bible. And what happens when the Bible shows up? It's absolutely breathtaking. It was amazing because as I was reading it and looking at it, I'm like, where have I seen this before? And I went, oh my word. He is, he is talking to God. He's experiencing God. He's encountering God by the Bible. Isaiah comes. The Bible comes. And what happens to, to Hezekiah when when the Bible comes, Hezekiah connects with God. And when he connects with God, faith starts happening. And then you in chapter 7 get to see when it's happening because he's responding to God's words. He's hearing God's words, but you're seeing what he sees of who God is, and it's so strangely familiar. It goes all the way back to Isaiah 6. Listen to his prayer as he's talking to God, as he's experiencing God, as he's connecting to God, how it is the exact same vision of God that Isaiah had in chapter 6. So in other words, Isaiah has this vision from God, words from God, that he sees God. He writes it down, or he tucks it and remembers it before it's written down. I don't know which one's coming first, but he tells that to Hezekiah. And when he tells it to Hezekiah, Hezekiah sees God. Hezekiah experiences God with the Bible. Hezekiah connects with God in the Bible, in the words, and this is what he says. O Lord of hosts, you remember that? O Lord of hosts, O Lord of good news who fights for us. That's what that means. God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim, remember the seraphim and the Cherubim, the flaming ones. You're enthroned above it. So again, we're, he's seeing the king, the savior king. You are God alone. You alone are God. Holy, holy, holy are you. You've made the earth. You're over all the kingdoms of the earth, heaven and earth. Remember, you, your throne sits in heaven. Your, Jesus says his feet rest on earth. Incline your ear, O Lord. In other words, O good news, God, for sinners, hear us. Open your eyes, O Lord. O good news, God, for sinners, see us. And see and hear all the words of Sennacherib and the Rav You're doomed. Do this. Which he has sent to mock you, Lord the Living God. So do you see it? It's so familiar, it's absolutely breathtaking. What's happening to Hezekiah? are these mere words? Well, these mere words connected him to God. These mere words connected him to faith. These mere words put Hezekiah back together again amidst overwhelming odds. Amazing. So here's some practical help. What happens when the Rafshika, you're doomed? Uh, Do this takes over the preaching and teaching of the church? Let's get really practical. Let's say the refshika, this kind of teaching, you're doomed. Do this takes over a church? What happens? Well, number answer number one, it can pack people in. That can happen. Pew poll shows that. Uh, Answer number two, the Bible becomes mere words. So it goes like this, uh, you, it's, I'm doing, I'm doing, because remember it's all about doing, it's about how to do this, how to do that, I'm doing, I'm doing, and so when this happens, the Bible starts becoming mere words to all of us. It's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm trying, it's, it's not working, I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm anxious, and then someone comes in, Well, will now try doing this, oh, that's what it is, and then we do this, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Third answer, you look to connect with God somewhere else. You're going to look to connect with God. So if we listen to the Rafshika, the Rafshika teaching takes over a church or takes over a community, uh, it can mean you pack people in. It definitely means the Bible becomes mere words. And it definitely means you're going to seek to connect with God in somewhere else other than the Bible. That's just going to happen. You know what John Piper says? Those of you who know that name, a while ago he was like it all over evangelicalism. He says that singing has replaced preaching to experience God. Isn't that amazing? So again, it's not that you're not going to stop trying to connect with God. If you don't connect with God in the Bible, you're going to try to connect with Him somewhere else. And so one of the ways that we try to connect with God, He is saying, is by singing. And that's why most services are 45 minutes of singing and then a 10-minute message. Right? Uh, We also turn to church traditions to connect with God. Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, we go to the traditions, we go to the church, we think the church is where you connect with God. Let me say this as clearly, hopefully as I can. The word of God creates the church, the church doesn't create the word. Churches exist because the word of God created them. So the church isn't the power The church was created by the power. It's the word of God that creates the church and builds the church and reaches and nourishes and renews and puts back together again and connects people to God and connects us to each other and connects to mission and connects to life. It's the Bible that does that, not the church. The other thing we do is we look to find God or connect with God in our feelings and our experiences. We look to special anointed individuals, so we think, man, they've got it, so it's got to be their teaching, or I'm going to follow them and how they live. Literally, people follow pastors. I cannot think of the most boring, ridiculous thing to do in the world. It astounds me. I mean, I'm going to follow like Jocko, you bet. Pastor, why? The next thing we do is we follow biblical, we try to connect with biblical principles. We think biblical principles or morals, that that's going to be how we're going to connect with God. You get the point. Here's the point. Great awakenings like in Judah, like the Reformation, like the first great awakening, revivals, personal breakthroughs, you know when they happen? Do you know what happens when, like, an awakening happens in Judah or at Pentecost or the Reformation or the first great awakening? Do you know what happens? What happens is the Bible is rediscovered to not be mere words, awakenings. It's not mere words, personal breakthroughs. It's not mere words. People connect with God massively. It's not mere words. Relationships and friendships and community happens. It's not mere words. I know what life is all about. I have a vision for life. I have a mission in life. Awakenings happen whenever the Bible is rediscovered to not be mere words. Connect with God with the Bible. Do you want to connect with God? Connect with God with the Bible. You want to experience God? Experience God with the Bible. Some of you are thinking, but how do I? I mean, seriously, Jeff, how do I? How can I trust that God will connect with me? How can I trust that God will connect with my needs? How can I trust that God will connect with my relationships and all the important things that go on in my life? How can I know that? Seriously. The historical account of the Ravshika, King Sennacherib, and the Assyrians ends this way. You ready? We don't have it, so you're just going to have to listen. And the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is such a debated, interesting person, because the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Yahweh but also distinct from Yahweh that takes a human form. Don't ask me to explain it. So the angel of the Lord is Yahweh, but distinct from Yahweh in Yahweh, from Yahweh that takes human form. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. It's 185,000 to one. 185,000 of the most cracked troops in the history of the world are put into the top five in all the history of the world. 185,000 of them to one. Two. And when the people rose early in the morning, behold, pay attention, there were all these dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. Of course he did. And returned home and lived in Nineveh. So the Ravshika taunts you You're doomed. Do this. The Ravshika will always be that voice You're doomed do this, the Rav will always come up and say, is it, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? (laughs) It's 185,000 to one, the Rav says. And the angel of the Lord says, one is enough, absolutely enough. But how do I know, how do I know, how do I know that I can trust God to connect with me in his word? How do I know that I can trust him to connect me with other people? And how do I know that He can, his word can connect me to life and to mission? How do I know that his word's enough? How can I hang everything on mere words, Jeff? Because of 185,000 to one. Because of all your sin and all its condemnation, and all its comprehensive misery and death that it brings to our life, all of it, all 185,000 of it, to the cross, to one. All doom, all doom, comprehensive, macro, micro, major, mini dooms in your life. It's 185,000 of them To one resurrection. It's 185,000 to one. Here's some practical help it's your feelings, 185,000 of them, to one. So, what that means is stop trusting your feelings, trust the one. And what happens, it's so interesting, when you trust the one, you get new feelings. When you trust the one, you get new thoughts, thinking. When you trust the one, you get new experiences. And all of a sudden, those other thinkings and those other feelings get seen for what they are. They're the 185,000 to the one. So it's your feelings versus the one. Then read your Bible to connect with God because of the one. You can pick up your Bible and connect with God, not because of your feelings, not because of how good your day was, but because of the one. That God connects with you with his words because of the one, period. That's it, nothing else. It's, a millions, it's millions and millions of strategies of power. Here's the other practical help. It's millions and millions of strategies of power and war versus the one. In other words, you and I have millions and millions of strategies of power in our life. Ways of trying to connect with God, connect with life, connect with anything, connect with ourselves, figure out our gender, figure out our sexuality. There's millions and millions and millions of strategies of power and war. Verse 1. So, stop trusting the next power strategy and trust the one. That's it. And then what does that mean? That means then you get, you know what you get to do? You don't have to go look for these strategies of power. You can just do boring, ordinary, normal Christianity. Go to church. And God connects with you through the preaching of the word. God connects with you through the sacraments. And you talk back to him because he connects with you and you pray. And you interact with them through the liturgy because the liturgy is the word and the affirmations throughout all church history. And then you do simple things like you read your Bible when you can and you pray and you talk to them and you make friends and have gospel conversations and you do your relationships, friendship and community. And if you're married, you love your wife. If you've got kids, you love your kids and you train your kids. Normal. Ordinary, boring Christianity that changes the world. You don't have to look for the next power place, the next power strategy, the next rapshika. It's 185,000 to one. And the one says, it's enough. I'm enough, 185,000. You need more than that. Let me pray for us.